When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What a beautiful day. Guess who just landed the lead role in the musical club's next play? Yep, me. As I immersed myself in the rhythm of the music, ouch, I bumped into someone and fell over. Are you blind? You think you're so special you can just waltz around the places you please? Not again. Why do I keep running into her? That's Kiera, the mean girl from my musical club. I sing, she dances, I always make sure to stay in my lane, but for some reason, Kiera won't stop criticizing me. Ugh, please, you sound like a screeching cat. Give me fingernails on a chalkboard over your squawking any day. Why she gotta be so mean? Huh? What's this? Oh, a wallet. Someone must have dropped it, but I'm the only person in this alley. There must be an ID card or something in it, right? So I opened the wallet to check it, but nope. No student card, no ID. Instead, there's just a strange photo and a bunch of VIP membership cards with the name Sophia on them. Ooh, these places are swanky. This person must be super wealthy. I gotta hand this into the cop station. But wait, isn't this... Oh my god, a ticket to see Franz Ferdinand tonight! I love that band! And it's for the VIP area. Hmm... Even if I bring this to the cops now, they still won't be able to find the owner before the concert anyway. We shouldn't let such an awesome ticket go to waste, right? So, what if... I'll enjoy tonight's concert on this girl's behalf, then I'll hand the wallet to the cops later. Honest! Wow, this is the biggest stage I've ever seen in my life! I got to my seat and eagerly waited for the show to start when I heard a voice next to me. Hey, you must be Sophia. My gosh, this guy was gorgeous, but he'd mistaken me for someone else. Wait a minute. That's right. Sophia was the name on the cards, the wallet's owner. I was still looking for a way to explain this awkward situation when he continued. Glad to meet you. I'm Roman, and I've heard a lot about you from my parents. They're kind of good at arranging things, aren't they? Because I really admire this band. I should have foreseen this happening. I mean, who goes to a concert alone? Luckily for me, it appears that this Roman guy had never met the real Sophia before. For one night only, I could pretend to be her, right? And guess what? The guy was not only super cute, but also a talented musician. He'd spent most of his life in Italy and had not long returned to the US to attend college here. Through him, I learned that Sophia was a gifted singer, and both their parents set this meeting up so that Roman could help her singing career. Talking to Roman felt so natural, and soon I was singing and swaying to the music alongside him. 
As soon as I arrived home, I immediately went online to find more information about Roman. Wow! His SoundCloud account has over 200,000 subscribers! <sighs> Handsome and talented, he's like a James Dean of modern times. As I was daydreaming, my phone vibrated. He texted me. I had a great time tonight. I'm having a small welcome home party at the Madison Club. I heard you go there often. If you're not busy, would you like to join us? The Madison Club? As in, one of the most expensive country clubs in the state? The initiation fee alone costs $1,000, and this girl is a frequent flyer? And, yup, here's the Madison Club VIP membership card. I know, I know. But I still had loads of music-related questions to ask Roman. Just this once. Then I would definitely hand it in. Now, on to the next problem. I couldn't wear these mediocre outfits to the Madison Club. I needed something demure, but expensive-looking. Hmm, if I was Sophia, where would I shop? Yes, the Crystal Lane Mall! The next morning, I strolled up to the exclusive shopping mall with all of my savings. But, how can a dress this short cost $5,000? Are there actually people who are willing to pay that much for this tiny fabric? The only item I could afford was a sparkly hairpin. So be it. I gritted my teeth, taking the hairpin to the checkout counter, along with all the cash I had on me and the membership card. But surprisingly, not only did I get the hairpin for free, but they also gifted me this cute bag. Apparently, it was my birthday. Well, Sophia's birthday, to be exact. Honestly, I felt kind of guilty enjoying these services in Sophia's name, but I didn't spend any of her money. Seeing as this bag's a freebie, I get to keep it, right? The next day, I settled on a simple but pretty dress and my beautiful new bag and wore them to school, as I planned to go straight from there to the party. When my best friend Anna came over to me, she took one look at my bag, then <gasps> gaped in disbelief. A Chanel bag? Did you sell a kidney to buy it? <laughs> it was a gift. Uh, where did you get that? That's a limited edition for VIP members of the Crystal Lane Mall only. Spill it. It's a fake, yeah? Kiera and her unruly friends were at it again. I tried to pull Anna away as I didn't want any trouble, but she still managed to clap back at them. It's 100% authentic. Maisie's rich boyfriend got it for her. Jealous much? Kiera sneered, then said unless I called my boyfriend over, she would tell the whole school that we were tragic liars. Come on, Maisie. Show them what humiliation feels like. Oh no. What should I do? Thanks to Anna's expectant looks and Kiera's smug grin, I had no choice but to ask Roman to pick me up after school. Um, he says he'll come get me after class. As soon as I stepped out of the school gate, I saw Roman waiting next to a shiny Bugatti Chiron. He greeted me with a smile, then opened the door for me. I didn't need to turn around to know that Kiera was watching me with fiery eyes. After this, she wouldn't dare to look down on me again, right? Ooh, this place was even more lavish than I imagined. As we were early, Roman invited me to sing a song while he played the piano. I started singing, and he too joined in to harmonize, and this moment felt just great. How cool was it seeing him all immersed in music? By the time we finished our performance, I realized a crowd had gathered around us, and they all burst into wild applause. An angelic voice and a genius musician. What a perfect couple. I turned to Roman and saw him smiling fondly at me. Wow, I knew my parents said you were good, but I had no idea you'd be that incredible. Feeling my face heating up, 
I quickly excused myself, then ran to the bathroom. Well, once I could find it. To calm down. Yeah, so this was a confusing mess, but it didn't change the fact that my heart was still thudding like crazy. This experience was like daydreaming, but maybe I should tell him the truth before things went too far. I returned to see Roman talking with a girl. Seeing me coming, Roman waved me over and said, Here she is. Hey, Sophia. I've just been chatting with your little sister. Oh, no. I was going to tell Roman the truth myself. But when the girl turned around and... Isn't that... Kiera? So Kiera is my... I mean, Sophia's sister? Kiera seemed as surprised as I was, as she made up an excuse and left. Huh. Did she really just leave without making a scene? The next day, I turned up at school with the wallet and looked for Kiera, only I couldn't find her anywhere. When the last bell rang, I received a message from her that said, Meet me in the alley behind school. I nervously arrived at the rendezvous spot and saw Kiera waiting there. Here's your sister's wallet. Sorry I didn't return it sooner. But to my surprise, she didn't even take the wallet. Thief, you'll pay for that. What did she mean by that? Let me be clear, I didn't steal this. I just picked it up by accident. I was always going to hand it in. Then why did you use my sister's name and membership cards? I just... No more excuses. Stealing is still stealing. If you don't want everyone, including Roman, to know that you're an identity thief, you'd better do what I say. You will sing for me to lip sync at the city's upcoming singing contest. Singing contest? But Kiera's a dancer, not a singer. Suddenly, a voice from behind startled me. Here you are, Sophia. I've been looking for you. I turned and saw Roman's happy, oh-so-cute face. He'd be so gutted when he found out that I'd lied to him from the start, sensing my feelings. Kiera just smirked at me before she left. Remember our deal, sister? It turned out that Roman had just finished composing a new song that day and wanted me to record a demo for it at his studio. But this isn't right. I hesitated, then blurted out, Roman, actually, I'm not... Roman interrupted before I could finish my sentence and showed me the poster of an upcoming singing contest. Oh, it was the one Kiera mentioned earlier. You should give it a try. It's a good opportunity. I shook my head sadly, but I can't. Why? How can I tell Roman that I can't participate in the contest because I have to help Kiera lip sync? So, I just told him some baloney about having a family thing on that day. When I got home, I decided there's only one thing for it. I had to block Roman. It's the hardest thing I've ever done, but I had to stop this web of lies now before they overtook my life. On the day of the singing contest, although I'd pre-recorded the song for Kiera, she still dragged me along with her. Hmm, that's odd. She didn't seem her usual brash self. Maybe the nerves had got to her? Then, midway through her performance, she misjudged a move and her mic clattered to the floor. As she was standing there dumbfounded, my voice continued to blast out. The whole room fell silent. Then slowly, the murmurs began to rise. Everyone pointed and commented on Kiera, and I heard the man sitting next to me muttering, She's brought more shame on our family. How could I tell anyone that's my daughter? Oh, so this is Kiera's father? And the woman sitting next to him, probably her mother, was also shaking her head in boredom. At that moment, a staff member approached them to say something, and I could see their faces turn pale before they rushed out of the auditorium. Seeing that, Kiera burst into tears, then rushed off the stage. 
Geez, how can parents treat their child like that? Kiera may have been a mean girl, but she didn't deserve that. I was about to go check if she was okay when a hand pulled me back. It was Roman. Maisie, it's your turn. Right at that moment, the host of the show called me to the stage by my real name. Huh? What was going on? I turned to look at Roman, but grinning, he just wished me luck and handed me the mic. And the music started. It was the song that Roman and I had sung together. I took a deep breath to calm myself, then sang my heart out. When I ended the performance, all three judges stood up to applaud, and the audience cheered me on. Oh dear, am I dreaming? What is all this? Do you know who I really am? Yeah, of course. I figured that out ages ago. Turns out me not knowing where the restrooms were in the country club gave the game away. <laughs> so he did his research and found out that I wasn't actually Sophia. Only because he still wanted to see me, he pretended not to know so we could carry on like normal. He also accidentally witnessed Kiera making me sing for her performance, so he decided to register me. Talking about Kiera, I wanted to make sure she was okay. We searched around and found her sitting outside, sobbing. It's okay. There will be other competitions. I'm not upset about that. It's my sister. She's missing. Through tears, Kiera told us about how, from a young age, her parents wanted her and her sister to pursue a career in music. However, Kiera found a love of dance, while Sophia excelled at singing, making her favorable to their parents. Regardless of how many dance contests Kiera won, they always overlooked her talent. Then, when she excitedly told them that she'd bagged the lead dance role in the school play, they just went on about Sophia instead. So, feeling disheartened and jealous, Kiera threw away her sister's wallet, the one that I accidentally picked up that day. In this singing contest, Kiera wanted to win against her sister in front of their parents for once, so she got me into this whole lip-syncing plan of hers. But last night, Sophia found out about it, and they had an argument. Then, in anger, Kiera blurted out nasty things, such as how she longed for Sophia to vanish from her life. Only that morning, she woke up and found that her sister had actually gone. Until now, Sophia still hadn't even shown up at the auditorium when it's soon going to be her turn to perform. What if Sophia never comes back? I shouldn't have been so mean. Roman and I comforted Kiera. Then we went to find Sophia together. Kiera took us to Sophia's fave places, but she was nowhere to be seen. Suddenly, I remembered the picture carefully inserted inside her wallet. This must be a special place for her. This is my family's old house. We used to live here when I was little. We rushed over there and found Sophia sitting idly in front of the house. The two of them ran into each other's arms and sobbed like two children. Through tears, they talked it all out. Turns out, while Kiera was jealous of her sister, Sophia didn't have it any better either. She has been pressured by their parents' expectations since forever, and she did always feel sorry for Kiera because of all the privileges she had. You know, you can't judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree. If singing is your passion, feel free to live it to the fullest. But if it's not, don't be afraid to pursue what makes you happy. I mean, you're actually a really awesome dancer. So, in the end, Sophia and Kiera made up. After a big fight with their parents, the two sisters were free to pursue their own passion. Kiera focused on dancing, while Sophia and her friends formed an indie band like she always wanted. As for me, well... 
I've learned a lesson that if you find a lost item, take it to the cop station immediately. Luckily for me, it hasn't turned out so bad. I helped two sisters find peace and even got myself this handsome, super talented musician. Hi everyone, my name is Cassie, and I'm so perfect that all the boys lose their heads over me. However, at some point, all that changed. Well, I'm so perfect that I shine brighter than the sun. I mean, there's got to be a reason why all guys lose their head over me, and probably their vision, because I'm a real dazzler. Every one of them dreams of being my boyfriend, and I'm hoping amongst all this mighty crowd, to find the one who will also dazzle me with his brilliance, and ideally with some diamonds. Boys fight for my attention all the time. I'm used to it. Once, two boys even did a motorbike race for me. I sat bored in the bleachers of the stadium, painting my nails while they rode around. I have no idea what they were trying to accomplish. I left the stadium immediately after a local rich kid texted me. Oh, you have no idea how long I've been on the hunt for him. For the first time in my life, I had to chase someone, instead of turning around and laughing at the poor saps who tried to chase me. But unfortunately, I got my hopes up for nothing when Mark asked me out. He just invited me to a party, and then he just treated me like a friend. But it's better than sitting in the stadium and waiting for two idiots to finish a useless race. Anyway, I was enjoying my life as Miss Perfect. At some point, however, I sensed something wasn't right. In fact, I noticed various prophetic signs as early as this morning. For instance, my hair dryer stopped working. I accidentally broke a nail with a nail file. How is that possible? Well, somehow it is possible. I must have been cursed by some evil nail master spirit. Also, I was in such a hurry to get to school. I wore a shirt that totally didn't match the skirt. At first, I wasn't surprised that the boys weren't paying attention to me. After all, I wasn't in the best shape and they must have noticed my broken nail. However, it turned out to be much worse. A new girl came to our school, who wowed absolutely everyone with her beauty. Even Mark, who I'd been chasing. That's when I knew I was screwed. Not only was she more perfect than me, I wasn't even in the best shape that day. And the new Miss Perfect also noticed my broken nail, my flawed hairstyle, and my horrible shirt. Who is that? I asked my classmate. Her name is Rebecca, and she's joining our class. What? She's going to be our classmate? Oh, no. As soon as the new girl walked into class, I was afraid that all the guys were going to choke on their drool. How pathetic and ridiculous they look. I just sighed heavily and sent out a group message that I was inviting everyone to the party on Saturday. After all, I've been in the school longer than Rebecca, and I've built up quite a reputation. Plus, my parties are legendary. But no one showed up on Saturday. I, of course, was outraged, so I tried to find out where everyone had gone. As it turned out, Rebecca was also having a party that day, and everyone went to her place because she had a pool and a cool DJ was playing. This is outrageous! I yelled out. I was so angry, I smashed a carafe full of punch. I couldn't take it anymore, and I went to the party too. I wanted to know what I was being traded for. There was lots of delicious food and drinks, 
Guys were swimming in the pool, and the DJ was rocking the crowd on the dance floor. Whatever, nothing fancy, just a regular party. Mine would be cooler. When Rebecca approached me with a tray of snacks on it, I gave her an arrogant look and smacked her on the arm. And all the food went flying onto the ground. Who do you think you are? You come to our school and decide you're in charge? No, that's not going to work. I'm in charge. You're nobody and will stay that way if you continue to show off. The new girl started crying. I was pleased with myself for bringing Rebecca to tears. But I didn't expect all the boys to turn against me. The boys immediately started calming her down. Why did you come here? You've only spoiled everyone's mood. Get lost. Their bluntness made me gasp for air. Rebecca was embraced by my admirers. And I was supposed to leave? What? Am I in a parallel universe? I had no other choice. I left the party in tears. The next day, I was in for a real shock. Mark gifted Rebecca a red Porsche. He was moved by the girl's tears that he decided to cheer her up. Happy Rebecca hugged the boy and kissed him on the cheek. While I burned with jealousy and anger. Porsche? Seriously? Just over some tears? If I had known it was that easy, I'd be throwing tantrums for Mark every week. I wanted to throw rotten eggs at that car, but that would probably ruin my reputation even more. Instead, I decided to be friends with Rebecca, and then after, I discovered all her secrets. Destroy her. But as soon as I approached the new girl, she was immediately surrounded by her high school football players, who used to carry me in their arms. Stay away from her. One of them said, I just wanted to talk. You already talked once and made Rebecca cry. We won't let her get hurt. You go near her again, and we won't let you get away with it. Got it? Threatened the other one. Holy crap, are they all crazy? Maybe Rebecca had some kind of magic and put a spell on all the guys. I thought nobody would ever look at me now, but I still had admirers outside of school. So I decided to start dating one of those motorbike guys who did a race in my honor back then. His name was Zach. He won, by the way. We drove up to the supermarket on this awesome motorbike, and we looked great. Right up until the moment when Rebecca and Mark pulled up in their limo. They made us look lame and ridiculous. At the store, Mark was buying Rebecca everything she pointed her finger at, and I had to choke down a cheap candy bar because my boyfriend spent most of his money on gas. Hey, I caught Mark by the arm and took him aside. Do you know she's taking advantage of you? Rebecca's a nice girl, and she's not capable of that. You, on the other hand, really liked my money. And you were the one who wanted to take advantage of me. So back off. He pushed me away and walked over to Rebecca holding a brand new purse. No, that's not how it works. If this little upstart thought she could outshine me, she's dead wrong. Because I wasn't about to give up without a fight. First, I decided to find out more about who Rebecca was. Luckily, my boyfriend's dad was a cop, so I was able to get some information about her. Turns out, Rebecca and I went to the same primary schools. I immediately remembered an invisible girl who I used to make fun of a lot. No one ever noticed her because all the attention was on me. Was she now determined to get back at me? I also found out that one time, Rebecca got into a serious fight with some girl and her parents got a fine. Hmm, why don't I just get her involved in a fight? Then her reputation would definitely be ruined. Well, why would you do that, Cassie? Zach asked. While waxing his bike, I want my reputation back. I want everyone to lose their head over me again. But you already have me. Why do you need others? The guy hugged me 
and I wanted to scream at his stupidity. What do you mean, why? Zach was not the best option. I wanted guys like Mark, not poor guys on motorbikes. You wouldn't understand. It's, you know, a girl thing. I giggled stupidly. The next day, I did my best to provoke Rebecca, but she remained calm. And I was about to say goodbye to my reputation at school forever when I overheard a very interesting conversation. Rebecca was talking to my classmate and telling her how annoying Mark was and that she only puts up with him because of the money. She also added that she's sick of all her followers and that she wanted to steal my boyfriend. Wow, that was unexpected. It's a good thing I filmed the whole thing. I told Zach about it, but he wasn't supportive. Well, why don't you post that video for all to see? It'll only help her, and now she's suffering. But then everyone will be disappointed in her and I'll go back to being Miss Perfect. To me, you're already perfect, and I would never look at someone like Rebecca. I don't know why, but his words really impressed me. No one had ever said anything to me like that before, and Zach was able to surprise me and make me feel good without money or gifts. But despite that, I didn't want to back down from my plan. Putting the video online was too easy. What about playing it during our traditional end-of-school-year ball? The effect would be amazing. For me, of course. When I got to the prom, I wasn't surprised to see all the guys hanging around Rebecca. Hardly anyone paid any attention to me. And I was about to give the memory stick to the prom host when I noticed something. Rebecca was reluctantly dancing with every guy and kept looking at me. I noticed the look of dissatisfaction on her face. Well, of course, but I couldn't care less about her and the new girl just wanted to make me suffer. I look at the memory stick, smiled, and put it away in my clutch. Zach was right. There's no need to ruin anything because Rebecca, sooner or later, will ruin everything herself when she gets tired of the circus. I left the ball with a happy look on my face and went to my boyfriend's. So shall we go for a ride on the bike? I asked. Whatever you want, he answered. For the first time, I enjoyed our time together. We went to a secluded place, watched the sunset, and cuddled. At that moment, I didn't care about Mark or my reputation at school, and I certainly didn't care about Rebecca. But on the very last day of school, something interesting happened. As I walked down the corridor, I was suddenly attacked from behind. It was Rebecca. She started a fight right in front of everyone. You always piss me off. You drive me crazy now. I've done everything I can to ruin your reputation, and you don't even respond to it, she yelled. Everyone was shocked, and I pulled out one of her tricks and started crying. All the guys immediately ran up to me to console me. Even Mark came to my defense. That was the moment Rebecca destroyed herself and ran away from school in shame. You were right about her, Mark said. I'm sorry I didn't believe you at first. Do you want to go out sometime? He smiled and took my hand. Get lost, I said calmly. I'm not interested in people like you anymore. Everyone was shocked when I blew off this rich kid. I was relieved. I got my reputation back. Mark asked me out on a date, and I had the nerve to reject him in front of everyone. And then there was my boyfriend, Zach, waiting for me outside of school, who wouldn't trade me for any Rebecca. Being perfect is great, and being surrounded by admirers is fine too, but it's more important to be surrounded by people who see more than just your perfect looks. They see your soul. Zach made me realize that and now I'm happy. Do you consider yourself a perfect person? Write your answers in the comments. I'd be interested in reading them. And be sure to share this video with your friends.
Hi everyone, my name is Caroline, and I was homeless until the moment when billionaires took me to live in their luxurious mansion. Wondering how that happened? Stay tuned! One cold fall evening, I was trying to find money for food. Well, or just food, I didn't care. Ask me how it happened that I became homeless? Well, my parents died a couple of years ago, and I couldn't live in an orphanage because the local kids abused me. At one point, I ran away, figuring the streets would be easier for me. That night, I couldn't find a cent on the street and had already resigned myself to starving. Suddenly, I saw a well-dressed woman on her way to the supermarket. I immediately ran up to her and tried to steal her purse. Believe me, it wasn't my first robbery. The street dictates its own rules. However, at that very minute, some guy was right next to us. He pushed me away. Get lost, tramp, or you'll be in trouble. He threatened me with his fist. I didn't want to confront him and ran away. Well, now I had no food and money. But the next day, I had a surprise. The woman I was trying to steal from found me outside the supermarket, handed me a full bag of food and a warm jacket. Thank you, but why? You're too good to me. I tried to rob you. I had tears of gratitude in my eyes. I know you had to do it because of the way you live. She smiled. What's your name? Caroline. And why are you on the streets at such a young age? I told her the story of my life. The woman wept and promised to help me. I expected her to give me some more warm clothes and a sleeping bag and lots of food. But what happened next didn't just shock me. It killed me. In a good way, don't worry. A woman arrived in a luxury car with her husband. At this time, I was eating a baguette, trying to stretch it out into the evening. Well, that's it, Caroline. You're coming to live with us now, said my savior and smiled. Wh- what? I was so shocked. I choked on a piece of baguette. A girl like you shouldn't be living on the streets. We want to adopt you. Is that what you want too? She asked. Of course I said yes. And who wouldn't refuse in my place? On the way, I was modestly silent and terribly worried. And when we arrived, I was speechless. Now I'm going to live in a luxurious mansion, like a real castle. I was incredibly happy until I saw the guy defending my new mom. Oh, I forgot all about him. I bet he wouldn't be happy to have me in his house. Who the hell is she? He frowned at me as we got out of the car. Nick, this is your new sister, Caroline. We've decided to adopt her. Are you out of your mind? She's the tramp who tried to rob you, Mom. Nick, I get it, but it's my decision and your father's. We always wanted a second child, but you know yourself that we can't have any more. So get a normal kid from an orphanage. Nick, Caroline lives here now. Accept it said the father sternly. Nick immediately calmed down. His father seemed to be an authority he didn't risk arguing with. The boy muttered something to himself and went into the house, slamming the door loudly. Mr. and Mrs. Gilbert showed me my room, which I was absolutely delighted with. A huge bed, my own walk-in closet, lots of new and beautiful things, and a private bathroom. It's like heaven. I couldn't even dream of that. I immediately fell on my bed and cried with happiness. Now I had a home and a family. I'm not alone. But I was having trouble with Nick. 
I tried to get through to him, but the guy was stubbornly ignoring me. But what pissed Nick off the most was that his best friend had found common ground with me. Brian was a nice young man. He treated me like a regular girl, even though he knew I was from the streets. He helped me study. When my parents hired teachers to homeschool me, he talked to me and even taught me how to play PlayStation. And then one day, I overheard an unpleasant conversation. How can you socialize with that tramp? Nick asked angrily. She's normal. It's your sister. She's not my sister. She's the trash of society. I felt so hurt by those words. I couldn't hold back my tears. I went down to the living room and stared at a picture on the wall for a long time. I really liked the painting. I couldn't help myself, so I went and touched it. If you touch it again, you're out of the house. Nick threatened me when he came in. What? If I find you stole something or invited your tramp friends over, I'm not going to be nice to you. I'll throw you all out. I don't want to steal anything. For the first time, I decided to stand up for myself. I'm not what you think I am. And you'd know that if you weren't such a jerk. We would have kept fighting, but my parents came back. They gave me an expensive phone with a bunch of diamonds on it. Nick just snorted and went back to his room. And I was as happy as a baby. The next day, I decided to take a little walk. It was a beautiful day. I was listening to music on my phone when suddenly I was stopped by some vagrants with whom I used to feud. The thing is, I've always been on my own and a lot of people didn't like it. Seeing me in my new clothes and with a cool new phone like this, the tramps just jumped on me without a word, stealing all my money, phone, and even my new jacket. They did me bad and I sat down on the pavement and cried. How bad I felt. But then help came from somewhere I didn't expect. Nick was there. He helped me up and asked me what happened to me. When he heard about the tramps, he called his friends to deal with my abusers. Honestly, my heart almost stopped when Nick and his friends fought the vagrants. The guys took my stuff back and we ran from the cops, laughing for some reason. Nick, thank you so much. I hugged him. You're the best brother ever. The guy blushed and didn't say anything back, but I wasn't offended because his actions were more eloquent than words. When we got home, mom was shocked to see a battered Nick. He brushed it off and said it was okay. My father, on the other hand, was not happy about it. The thing is, my adoptive parents are billionaires and reputation is very important to them. They were afraid of any scandal. So they raised Nick in a strict manner to keep him out of trouble. Nick got very angry when his father told him off. So I decided to console my brother. As it turned out, it pissed Nick off that he lived in a rich family in the first place. You see, money is a weapon to reach some goals, but it's not about happiness. My dad wants me to carry on his business and I want to be a doctor and we fight about it all the time. I even felt sorry for Nick even though I didn't understand him. He had everything since he was a kid, but he doesn't appreciate it because it's not money that matters to him. It's the dream. If he lived in the street, he'd start appreciating everything he has. But then I realized what Nick meant. My father had arranged a business meeting at home with his partners, ordering Nick to attend. I could see that Nick wasn't interested at all. He even got hung up on the phone a few times, for which he received a stern reprimand from father. My father, very cleverly, without descending to insults, humiliated Nick. I felt really bad for my brother. So, 
I stood up for him. Dad smiled at me and said that I didn't understand anything and that he knew better how to make his son happy and more importantly, rich. Nick was touched that I stood up for him and for the first time, he called me sister and hugged me. Thank you. No one ever stood up for me, he said. I believe in you, Nick. Don't give up. Follow your dreams to the end. But I didn't think my words would have that effect on him. The thing is, that night, Nick ran away from home. He left a note in the living room, saying he'd rather be lonely and poor, but happy and free. My parents immediately pulled all the strings to find my brother, and my heart froze with fear. What if something happened to him? Then it would be all my fault. I was the one who encouraged him to follow his dream. Idiot! My parents couldn't sit still, so they went looking for Nick too. It didn't take us long to find my brother. He was surrounded by a gang of vagrants who wanted to get back at Nick for the last incident. They wanted to attack him in a group. We jumped out of the car right away, scared off all the vagrants and took Nick away. Son, that's not manly. You ran away like a coward. I ran away because I'm sick of you. I don't want to go into business. My goal is to help people and heal them. This argument went on all the way. At one point, Dad got so nervous, he lost control of the car. We hit a pole. Nick hit his head hard on the dashboard. My mom and I got scared. Dad seemed fine. My brother lost consciousness, and mom immediately dialed 911. What kind of misfortune is following us? Luckily, Nick wasn't seriously injured, but we were so scared for him. We cried in the room while they bandaged his head. I'm fine. Don't worry. He smiled at us. It must have had some effect on my father, and he mellowed. Nick, after all, was allowed to study to be a doctor. He was no longer bogged down with business meetings, which my brother hated so much. But there was another problem. You haven't forgotten about Nick's best friend Brian, have you? Well, he confessed his feelings to me. I was speechless. I didn't see Brian as a boyfriend. He was a friend to me. Nick, on the other hand, was very concerned. He was against us dating. But why? Brian asked. She's my sister and you're my best friend. This is a bad idea. It wasn't so long ago that you didn't think of her as your sister. A lot has changed, Brian. I'm against it. I don't want her to be in a relationship right now and then suffer through a breakup or a fight. Caroline needs to study. Brian didn't like that. Then I had to get into a dialogue and explain to the guy that I wasn't interested in relationships yet. Brian got upset but didn't insist on anything. Eventually, I got used to the luxurious life, and Nick became not just my brother, but my best friend, with whom I could talk to about anything. I'm glad this family came into my life. It's because of them that everything has changed for the better. Would you like to live in a billionaire family? Write your answers in the comments. I'd be interested to read them. Also, don't forget to share the video with your friends. Bye! I was sitting on the couch watching TV, and out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something flashed. A black shadow suddenly appeared and quickly disappeared somewhere in the back of the room. I got up and decided to look around. Maybe it was my little brother Eugene trying to scare me, but the room was empty. Suddenly, the shadow reappeared, this time in the top corner of the room, right near the ceiling. It frightened me. I didn't know what it could be. The shadow flashed in front of me once again disappeared, then reappeared and headed right at me. I screamed loudly, jumped back, 
and fell on my back. The front door opened. It was my mother. What happened? She saw my frightened face. I looked around. There was no shadow. Nothing. I blurted out immediately. I just fell down. My mom looked mm -hmm. at me suspiciously and then carried the groceries into the kitchen. Maybe I was just exhausted and was starting to see things that didn't make sense. Hi, my name is Karen, and lately I've been seeing some weird things that made me question my mental health. But first things first, I had surgery not too long ago, and not the easiest one. I was transplanted with someone else's eyes. I've had problems with my vision since childhood. I wore glasses, had to squint sometimes, but I managed somehow. Yeah, it was uncomfortable. They called me four-eyed, a dweeb, and so forth. I'm sure you all know these typical nicknames, but that I could put up with somehow. However, in high school, my eyesight began to deteriorate drastically. I switched from one pair of glasses to the next, and it helped for a while. Eventually, I couldn't see much. My mother and I went to the hospital. Doctors hmm. examined me for a long time. They spun me around, stared at me, used different instruments. Then they sent me to another hospital until the last and most prestigious clinic gave me a disappointing diagnosis. I could go blind. My mom and dad were pretty shaken up by it. I must admit, so was I. What can be done, doctor? Mom asked. Well, there's only one solution, surgery. We need to transplant a set of healthy eyes. I didn't even believe that something like that was possible. The very thought of seeing the world through someone else's eyes made me feel very uneasy. It was a difficult time in my life, but as it turned out, there was more to come. My parents finally agreed to the surgery, but it wasn't that easy. We had to wait a couple of months for a donor to come along, but then the donor's eyes arrived and I finally got the surgery. I was blindfolded for two weeks and couldn't see anything. I was scared because I had no idea if I would see again. The doctors didn't know that either. Finally, they took the bandage off. I saw the outline of my mother's face, and then hey. I saw my father, and then the room we were in. I cried with joy. My parents cried too. It was an overwhelming feeling to be yes. able to see again. Uh -huh. Everything was beautiful. I went back to school, read books. I had perfect eyesight. Never before had I seen everything so clearly. I felt like I had some kind of superpower even though I was just like everybody else. But I wouldn't even be telling you about any of this if it wasn't for the side effects. I started seeing some strange things, sometimes even creepy things that gave me the shivers. One time I remember I woke up, went to the bathroom, turned on the water, washed my face, and then I looked up and almost fainted. What I saw in the mirror wasn't me, but a copy of me. She was smiling at me and waving. I rubbed my eyes and the other me was gone. I couldn't understand what just happened. Am I really losing my mind? I wanted to talk to my parents, but I just couldn't find the right words. What if they thought I was insane? I didn't want to end up in the hospital, so I decided to figure it out on my own. There was definitely something going on with me, and it had something to do with my eyes. I figured there had to be some scientific explanation for it. So I went to the doctor who performed the surgery. I asked him, is it possible the eyeball is damaged and that causes, how should I put this? I hesitated. What? The doctor asked, distortion, strange visions? The man mm -hmm. frowned. Let's examine you, he said after a long pause. 
I was again seated in that creepy chair. They attached some kind of machine to me, and the doctor examined my eyes for about 10 minutes. Then he declared, There's nothing wrong. I don't see any damage. Okay, it's probably just fatigue. If there's anything wrong, come back again. We'll help you figure it out. I, unsure whether to be happy or sad, returned home. Things didn't make more sense to me. So I decided to trace things all the way back to the beginning to find out whose eyes I got. It wasn't easy at all. So I asked Michael to help me. Michael was a friend of mine. We took a sculpting class together for two years. We both hated it, so we soon became friends. At recess, I tried to explain to him what was happening and outline my crazy plan. It's not just some random specs. No, they have faces and they move. Creepy, like a horror movie. Wow, and I thought you were finally going to be able to live a normal life. I can see just fine, but not everything I see, I like. So what are you thinking? Sneak into the clinic at night, locate my file, and find out exactly who my donor was. I could tell by the look on Michael's face that he was fighting himself. I don't know. It's kind of dangerous. And how do we get through security? We could come during the day, hide somewhere, and then come out when the clinic closes. Only after about five minutes, Michael said, Okay, let's go. I don't want you running around by yourself. The next day, we went to the hospital. We were walking down the halls, wondering where we could hide. I suggested, why don't we find a back room where they keep all the cleaning supplies and mops? Okay. Michael agreed. After half an hour, we finally found a suitable back room. While no one was looking, we snuck in and hid in the closet. The closet was cramped, so we had to stand there with our arms around each other. It's a little awkward. Michael said, yeah, I agreed. But then I added, shh, I think someone's coming. And indeed, a woman entered the room. She was folding something for about 10 minutes. And then she went out and we were alone again. What do those shadows look like? What do you see? Michael suddenly asked, well, I don't know. They're long with red eyes. Sometimes you can see the mouth. It's hard to describe. Some kind of black clots. I wonder what it could be related to. That's what I want to find out. Maybe something happened to the person whose eyes I got and now I'm seeing all this. We stood in the closet for four hours. My legs were stiff. It was also stuffy. Finally, at 10 o'clock, the hospital was empty and we crawled out of the closet, eagerly breathing in fresh air. We stretched our stiff legs and arms. Having come to our senses, we headed out on a search mission. At night, the clinic looked creepy. Everything was dark, with only a few dim lights on. What we needed was an archive where they kept all the patient's records. Surely my file would have some record of my donor. I already knew where it was, so we headed over there without looking in every room. Suddenly, something flashed in the distance. At first, I thought it was one of the staff. A guard, perhaps? I touched Michael's shoulder and said in a whisper, I think there's someone up ahead. I looked closer. It looked like a silhouette of a person. I can't see anything. Where? said Michael. Over there. I pointed to where the silhouette was, but no one was there now. Where? I imagined it. Michael let out a sigh of relief and we continued on our way. The archive was on the second floor. We were on the third. After a bit of confusion, we finally found the right door. Is this it? Yes, I said. You just have to be quiet. The office was dark, so I switched on the flashlight on my phone. It was dangerous, but there was no other way. There were several shelves against the wall. It must be here. 
I said to Michael and pointed to the metal boxes with the letters on them. Are they alphabetical? I think so. I need an R. Robinson. Hold the light and I'll look for it. I held the flashlight while Michael went through folder after folder. Did you find it? I asked, growing impatient. No, but... He stopped and then he called out loudly. There! Hush! They'll hear us! Suddenly there was a noise in the hallway. I turned off the flashlight and my friend and I hid under the table. The doorknob creaked and someone came inside. A flashlight beam flickered across the room. You must have imagined it, hmm. came the guard's voice. He shut the door. We waited until his footsteps faded, and I finally asked, Did you find it? Yeah. Michael showed me the folder. It said Karen Robinson on it. I flipped through the paperwork and made sure it was what we were looking for. I wanted to figure out on the spot, but Mike said, Come on, let's just take it with us. What? Yeah, and then we'll bring it back. Okay, I agreed. We'll read it outside. We left the office, walked down the hallway towards the stairs, so we can get to the first floor and sneak past the garden to the street. Suddenly, black shadows appeared at the end of the corridor. There were many of them, an entire squad. At first, they stood looking at me. I froze too and couldn't move. Then the shadows lunged at me, and I screamed. Michael didn't understand what was happening. What's going on? He asked. I began to explain that a bunch of black monsters came rushing at me. I ran for the stairs. Michael followed me. I ran as fast as I could. We made it to the first floor. A guard suddenly appeared in front of us, but he was so frightened by my scream, he jumped out of the way. We made our way to the street and ran for another 10 minutes. Michael kept up with me. I turned around to see if the shadows were still chasing me, but there were no shadows. I stopped, and so did Michael. We caught our breath, and that's when the guy asked, Were there shadows? Yeah, maybe they're not real, but I didn't want to check. We stood by the lantern, and I opened the folder. I frantically read everything that was written about my surgery. When I got to the information about the donor, I immediately understood everything. They transplanted the eyes of a man who was being treated in a psychiatric hospital. He had schizophrenia, and he was seeing terrible hallucinations. But I thought it had more to do with the brain than the eyes. Yeah, so did I. But who the hell knows? I have to show it to my parents. We went back home. Mom and Dad were worried because I never came home from school. But I handed them the folder and pointed to the right document. I explained that I was seeing scary things and that it seemed to have something to do with my transplanted eyes. The next day, my parents made a scene at the clinic, complaining that they weren't informed who those eyes belonged to. They promised me a new surgery. Luckily, this time, I didn't have to wait so long. I got the transplant the very next week. I never saw those shadows again, but the darkness still scares me, and I don't like to be alone in a dark room. What would you do if you suddenly started seeing strange shadows? Write your answers in the comments, like the video, and share it with your friends. When I was basking in glory, the moment I saw my name placed first in a scientific model design contest, suddenly, Sungkook crushed me. Oops, I mean, Zack, the president of the Otaku Club with the Sungkook cosplay. Ouch! Traveling by clouds has made you forget how to walk? Zack hastily helped me up and replied in a panic. Sorry, man, it's because the basketball team is chasing after me. Huh? Why? They hate this outfit. Don't tell anyone you see me, okay? After saying that, he immediately ran away. Jeez, what a weird club. They were always bullied for cosplaying at school, but they never gave it up. Hi, I'm Min, 17 years old. 
Ever since I was a kid, I've set a goal to win a full scholarship to Columbia University. That was the first step for me to become a famous businesswoman. I didn't have any friends as all of my time was spent studying. Well, who cares about making friends anyway? Being number one made me feel happy enough. <laughs> However, there were many obstacles on my way of achieving my dreams. One day, the principal suddenly called me into the office and announced a shocking news. Min, I'm sorry to say that you are not qualified for the Columbia Uni Scholarship. What the frog? My whole world fell apart when I heard that. Immediately, I rushed to confront the principal. He quickly explained. Apparently, it's because you're not involved in any community activity. So what? You see, Columbia Uni only accepts students with outstanding academic results and profound achievements in community activities. Then he suggested that I join a school club to improve my performance and get them to consider changing their mind. <gasps> community skills? I wasn't good at that. However, in order to get into Columbia Uni, I was willing to do anything. From that day on, I started looking for the right club for me. Unfortunately, most of the clubs were full and there weren't too many choices left. Cooking club? I didn't even know how to use a knife. Ushery? Jeez, sounded violent. Ah, here it is. Presentation club, the most successful club in the school. I was made for this. I immediately reached out to Dove, the club's president, but in response, she just smirked sarcastically. Sure, I'll consider it, only if you destroy the model in your last competition. Damn it, Dove was still bitter about losing to me. Of course, I couldn't agree to something so ridiculous like that. In my anger, I accidentally pushed her down. The two of us got into a fight and only stopped when the principal suddenly appeared. Dove quickly fled from the scene and left me behind to suffer from his scoldings. Anyways, have you joined any club yet? My head felt like it was going to explode because time was running out but I still didn't know what to do. At that moment, Zack, the president of the otaku club, passed by. I quickly pulled him back. Don't worry sir, I've already joined the otaku club. I'll make it the most popular at school. I like your spirit, man. The principal pleasantly left while Zack looked at me like I just screwed two heads. But after I explained everything, he happily welcomed me. Actually, the otaku club was the last place in my mind. They spent too much time goofing around in my opinion. For someone who had big ambitions like me, it was a waste of time. They even had a monthly cosplay day on the 25th. People would make fun of me for that. What could I do? It was my only choice now. The next day, I had my first club's hmm? meeting. O.M.G. They had only five members and all were boys. I was the only girl there. They all seemed very happy to see me and kept asking about my interest in anime. Do you like Chainsaw Man? <gasps> Girls like cosplay more, right? What about games based on anime? Do you like it? I was bewildered and could only stutter. In the end, Zack had to come to the rescue. It might be overwhelming at first, but don't worry, just relax and have fun. Then he suddenly put an otaku badge on my shirt. <gasps> Welcome to our club, Minsan. Let's be good friends. Making friends? Those words were never in my dictionary before, but they didn't sound too bad. In the days that followed, I started to get closer to the club members. Although normally I had no idea what they were talking about, I still felt warm inside whenever they were nice and friendly towards me. We went through bunches of anime, manga, and games together. I must say that it was actually more fun than I thought. 
However, troubles arose on the 25th of that month. According to the tradition, the whole club would have to cosplay one enemy character to school on that day. It was my first time doing this, so I was terrified. Don't worry, you'll look pretty in every outfit. But indeed, what I feared happened. When I cosplayed as Natsuko in Demon Slayer, every student stared at me and laughed non-stop. And of course, the one who laughed the loudest was none other than Dove. Grayson, her boyfriend, and also the captain of the basketball team, who hated otaku, wasted no chance to mock me. <laughs> Another freak showed up. Men, have they converted you into their cult? While everyone was laughing, the otaku members suddenly came over to protect me. Stay away from Minsan! Grayson quickly grabbed Zack by the collar. Why don't you run away like usual, freak? Seeing that a fight was about to break out, I immediately hit the fire alarm causing the water to spray everywhere. Everyone got wet and hurriedly left. That fateful event had made me burning with the desire to bring recognition to my otaku friends so that we wouldn't be bullied anymore. And to do that, we must participate in the annual Worldwide Japan Expo event. Winning there would get us a huge amount of respect. To achieve our goal, we worked together to make a really cool cosplay outfit of Kokomi in Genshin Impact. And I, the only girl in the club, was chosen to wear it. A few days before the event, the principal suddenly called me into his office and announced an important news. Congratulations, men! The Columbia Uni has just decided to leave the community skills out of their scholarship requirement. They'd love <gasps> to interview you. Before I could scream happily, he hit me with another shocking news that the interview date was on the 25th. It coincided with the Japan Expo cosplay contest. I could only choose one of them. That night, I couldn't get a wink of sleep. I didn't want to disappoint my club friends, but I also couldn't forsake this lifetime opportunity. In the end, I chose to follow my dream. After that day, I quietly huh? separated huh? myself from huh? the club no matter how much they, they tried to talk to me. Without them, I felt strangely lonelier and sadder than I thought. Time went by and the interview day finally arrived. I nervously walked into the interview room to find a serious man who was introduced to be the Columbia Uni's representative. He suddenly asked me, Min? What do you think makes you happy? Because I was too worried, my sweat came out like I was taking a shower. When I put my hand in my pocket to find hmm? a tissue, I suddenly touched something familiar. It was the otaku batch that Zack gave me. Min, do you hear the questions? What makes you happy? It's my friend, sir. I blurted out the first thing that came to my mind. Finally, I knew that I had been missing this the whole time. I quickly apologized to everyone in the interview room and rushed to the Japan Expo. Thank god, Zack and everyone were still there waiting for me. I embarrassedly apologized to them and told them the reason why I left the club, but to my surprise, they smiled. <laughs> I wish you had told us sooner, cause whatever path you choose, we'll support you. We're friends, and friends stick together. So I quickly put on the Kokomi outfit that my friends had worked so hard to prepare for me. I walked on the stage full of confidence while they were cheering wildly. In the end, we won third place. I was no longer number one, but somehow, I felt happier than ever. Zack came up to the stage to congratulate me and suddenly gave me a pat on the cheek. How kawaii! Who said otaku boys aren't bold? And luckily, my honest answer gave me another chance to interview with the Columbia Uni. Yay! 
Share this podcast to all social media, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook and so on and you'll be given a shout out. Also drop your social media username so that we can find you. Thanks for your support. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel by clicking the link in this episode description. You should also please follow or subscribe to our other podcast My Animated Story by clicking on this episode description. And also, kindly please rate and review this podcast by... One evening, as always, I was returning from college. My favorite music was playing in my headphones. Suddenly, my head began to ring so much that I lost my orientation in space. I grabbed my head, my legs began to shake, and everything went black. I fell on the ground and apparently passed out. When I woke up, I was already in the hospital. There was no one around me, which was strange. The doctors were not guarding me at my bed and and reacted to my seizure calmly for one reason. Thanks to the medical card, which I was always carrying with me, they had already been aware of my disease. This disease is quite rare, and because of it, I might lose consciousness a couple of times a month, sometimes even more often, just like that day. In other words, I'm used to waking up in hospitals. Living with this illness is very difficult. For example, I might get hurt if I fall. There were times when I woke up without my belongings and my phone. Someone had stolen them. I also never go out during winter because I'm afraid of losing consciousness and freezing to death. Ah, in general, it sucks. The doctors at the hospital patched me up and told me to be more careful in the future. Yes, I would gladly do so. But how? I was already leaving the hospital when one of the doctors ran up to me. He handed me a business card and told me to call the phone number on it. According to him, in this place, I could be helped with my disease. Since the disease did not allow me to live a normal life, I firmly decided to call the indicated number as soon as I returned home. But before calling, I decided to look for information about this place on the internet. Strangely, my query didn't return any results. I was already beginning to doubt whether it was worth messing with these guys. Lost in thought, I looked out the window. Little, beautiful snowflakes were falling outside the window. Winter was just around the corner. I loved and hated winter at the same time. My illness did not give me a chance to enjoy this time of year, and it was precisely the unwillingness to be locked up for several months that made me, nevertheless, dial the number indicated on the business card. A stern voice in the receiver told me the address and the next day I went there. The building was located on the outskirts of the city, far from my house, and it was very inconvenient to get there. I even walked a couple of kilometers on foot. Approaching the large iron gate, I saw the guards. They asked me to introduce myself and inform who was waiting for me. They found my name on the list and finally let me in. The place looked more like a prison, and not like an innovative scientific center, specialized in incurable diseases. I decided that perhaps their treatment methods were so unique that they should be kept in the utmost security. The scene inside the building cleared up all my doubts. I saw dozens of people in white coats and some kind of mysterious equipment. The same doctor from the hospital came up to me. He praised me for my courage and trust in them, and promised that from that moment my life would change. He seemed very nice. Dr. Archer, that was his name, brought me to the other patients. It seemed that there were about 50 of them. The same as me, each of them suffered from some serious illness and dreamed of being free from it. The doctor spoke into the microphone and everyone present heard his voice coming from the speakers. He said that the medicine we would be taking was experimental. This did not exclude side effects. He paused, obviously expecting a reaction from us. Side effects? Well, that's something new. The patients in the room began talking loudly. Someone headed towards the exit. I decided to stay. I no longer wanted to be hostage to my own disease. There were only seven volunteers left. Archer brought us some papers that needed to be signed. 
I read the text, and there was nothing suspicious about it, just a standard remission of claim. I calmly put my signature down. The doctor explained that for the next few days, we would be undergoing various tests and have some samples taken. This would help to understand whether the medication would be effective in our case. He invited us to go to our rooms. I did not expect that I would have to stay here for a long time. However, when I saw the room, I was pleasantly surprised. All doubts were cleared up. It was excellent. For the next few days, various professors and scientists took blood from us and for some reason asked us to take tests to identify the level of our intelligence. We were even put in some sort of centrifuge, similar to the one in which astronauts train. It was almost the same, only slightly smaller. I was hoping that the overloads for us would also not be so serious. One morning, Dr. Archer knocked on my room. He said that there was news for me and the other patients and asked to follow him. Archer gathered all the remaining volunteers and said that unfortunately, not all of us had passed the test, only two out of seven people. He opened the folder and read the names. The first name he announced was a young guy with whom I had already made friends, Peter Green. He came here because of his heart problems. At this point, I already began to worry. After all these endless tests, I really didn't want to go home with nothing. Dr. Archer adjusted his glasses and suddenly said my name, Julia Thatcher. I took a step forward, barely restraining the urge to rush to the doctor and hug him, but I managed to cope with my emotions. The doctor explained that we would be staying, and the other volunteers had to leave. People started protesting because they also wanted to get this wonder medicine. But then the guards entered the room. Seeing them, the volunteers reluctantly began to leave the premises. There were three of us left. The doctor took us to another room. He assured us by explaining that they had to send away those people because the medicine could have caused severe side effects on them. But our test results showed that the risk of getting a side effect was only 1%. After these words, we sighed with relief. The doctor opened some safe. I saw many mysterious test tubes and two syringes filled with some kind of glowing green liquid. Archer said that now all our sufferings would come to an end. We approached the doctor. He gave injections to Peter and me by slowly inserting the vaccine. When he started injecting me with this green liquid, I felt an intolerable itch in my eyes, as if soap had gotten into them. Peter, on the other hand, was acting strange. His look became somehow wild, and he suddenly rushed at the doctor. Luckily, the guards came up in time and Peter was taken out of the office. Doctor said that all of these effects were temporary and recommended that I go to my room to rest and recover strength. I did as I was told. However, one of the guards, for some reason, walked me all the way to the room and locked the door with a key as soon as I got inside. Dr. Archer came to see me again in the evening. I complained to him that I was not feeling well and said that I wanted to go home. The doctor was no longer as friendly as he had been. He did not comment on my words in any way and instead began to ask me questions. Archer asked how my eyes were. I replied that they seemed to be burning. The doctor smiled and suddenly his face changed. He jumped up from the chair and started insulting and threatening me. He said that I was just a laboratory rat and would never get out of here again. I was shocked. Finally, I realized how stupid I had been to voluntarily arrive at this evil clinic. Fear, anger, and resentment were so strong 
that I could not help bursting into tears. But the doctor, seeing me cry, started laughing. Several salty drops fell on the floor. I noticed that they were greenish in color and suddenly burned through the floor. They seemed to be very poisonous. Archer was clearly pleased with what he saw. Without a word, he left the room. I noticed that he had come to me on his own. There was no guard at the door. Several questions bothered me. What happened to me? Why were my tears burning my eyes and literally burning everything around? And was it true that I would not leave the walls of this strange place ever again? My head was aching unbearably. There was no strength left in me. I tried to sleep. When I woke up in the morning, I decided to leave the room and found out that the door was locked. In a panic, I started banging on it with my fists. The door flew open, and there was Dr. Archer with two guards standing in the doorway. Mad with anger, I rushed to the doctor with my fists, but one of the guards pushed me away. You're a liar, I shouted. Where is the lie here? The doctor asked with a smile. He showed me the documents in his hands. It was the agreement where I put my signature not so long ago. Here is your consent to conduct experiments. Conditions have been met. The medicine worked. You no longer have to be afraid of suddenly passing out. But I must confess I have cheated a little. He added, grinning. I left you with Peter. Not because you were the only ones with minimal risk of side effects, but because the medicine was supposed to affect you in a special way. Your side effects are very unusual and would be very useful for our organization. Your tears contain the strongest poison. For you, this poison is safe, but for others, it is deadly. This poison is the newest, most sophisticated chemical weapon, and its traces cannot be found. The doctor said that Peter also showed some abilities, but they were absolutely useless for the organization. I was shocked by what I had heard. All I wanted was just to be cured of my disease. I don't want to kill anyone. You'll have to cry a little. The doctor handed me an empty test tube and nodded to the guards to make me fulfill his assignment. But their help was not necessary. I was very frightened, hurt, and unbearably homesick. Tears literally gushed out of my eyes. Surprisingly, the poison did not corrode the walls of the flask. Apparently, it was made of a special material. Seeing that I was obediently collecting my tears into it, the doctor and his guards departed. I was crying and filling the flask with my tears. Tears kept dripping and dripping until the container was filled to the brim. At first, I still had a glimmer of hope that everything that was happening was just a nightmare and I would soon wake up, but time was passing and nothing was changing. The doctor continued to threaten me and demanded more and more test tubes to be filled with poisonous tears. I no longer knew how long I had been within the walls of this terrible laboratory and just dreamed of getting out. But how to do that? The answer came suddenly at the very moment when I was handing over another flask filled with tears. Here it was, my ticket to freedom. I decided to run away. Choosing the moment when the flask with the poison had not yet been taken from me. Sneaking up to the door, I looked through the keyhole. There was no guard. It seemed that someone did not take his job very seriously. I poured some of the poisonous liquid into the keyhole. A hissing sound came from inside, and very soon a small hole was gaping in the door. I pushed the door and found myself in the corridor. No one from the employees was there, just a lot of closed doors to the right and left. Some of them were made of glass, and behind them I could make out empty rooms with gray walls. They were all empty, except for one. 
I stopped and looked closely. Huddled in a corner, there was Peter sitting on the floor. I knocked on the door. Peter heard it, jumped to his feet, rushed to the door and began pounding on it. I did not know what they had done to him, but he behaved like an animal and looked accordingly. I gestured to him to be quiet, but he continued pounding. He didn't seem to recognize me at all. I swear I wanted to free him, but then a siren went off in the hallway. I heard the approaching footsteps and shouts of the guards. I could not risk that. I could get caught. Looking into Peter's empty eyes, I realized that there was nothing left of my friend. I had to leave him. The guards were already close. I had to hide somewhere, so I ran down the corridor. Suddenly, I saw garbage cans and a garbage chute next to them. With nothing left to do, I jumped into it and slid down the dark pipe until I fell on the bags. As I jumped, I was still holding the flask with the remains of the poison in my hand. But after falling, I dropped it. I tried to find it among the bags, but it was useless. There was no time for a search. I had to get out. I moved forward gropingly, not knowing where I was going. Suddenly, I bumped into the grate. I tried to squeeze between the bars, but I couldn't. That was it. My escape was over. I was heartbroken. I remembered everything that I had to go through and the empty eyes of Peter behind the glass door. Covering my face with my hands, I burst into tears. Tears were burning my palms. And suddenly it struck me. Tears. Well, of course. I put my hands, wet with tears, on the bars of the grate. The metal hissed as tears began to eat away at it. I managed to burn out a small hole in the bars. I was able to squeeze through it, but the guards would never have been able to do so. To my great happiness, I soon found myself on the street. Freedom! Finally! I looked around and suddenly noticed the road. Cars were driving past every now and then. One of them immediately stopped when the driver saw me. I explained to him that I had gotten lost and really wanted to go home. He asked where to take me. I thought that I could not go home. They would be looking for me there in the first turn. So I asked the driver where he was going, and hearing the direction said that I needed there as well. I was hoping that the magical medication would help me to cope with my disease, and now I would have to hide for the rest of my days, fearing that the employees of the mysterious organization would find me. I'm sure that they are still looking for me. It's really scary. Scary that my abilities can be used to harm other people. Where can I ask for help? Maybe some kind of institution? Share this podcast to all social media, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook and so on and you'll be given a shout out. Also drop your social media username so that we can find you. Thanks for your support. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel by clicking the link in this episode description. You should also please follow or subscribe to our other podcast My Animated Story by clicking on this episode description. And also, kindly please rate and review this podcast by... Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. 
visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.